You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Reports of a reply chain incident at a major international furniture and housewares retailer. North Korean operators are fishing for South Korean marks using bogus Samsung recruiting emails. Fancy Bear has been seen pawing at Gmail. A regional escalation to civilian targets in the cyber conflict between Iran and Israel. More organizations are added to the U.S. entity list. Johannes Ulrich looks at decrypting Cobalt Strike. Our own Rick Howard wonders if executives really need to know how to drive that tank. And tension between Russia and Ukraine continues to rise. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, November 29th, 2021. IKEA has been working to contain a continuing phishing campaign that's afflicting the furniture and houseware chain's internal email system. Bleeping Computer describes it as a reply chain email attack. Again, that's not supply chain, but reply chain. This form of attack is unusual, but not unknown. The attackers obtain a legitimate corporate email and reply to it. Bleeping Computer explains, quote, As the reply chain emails are legitimate emails from a company and are commonly sent from compromised email accounts and internal servers, recipients will trust the email and be more likely to open the malicious documents. IKEA is working to contain the problem and so far has said little about how the attackers succeeded in compromising internal emails. Among the revelations of last week's Google Threat Horizons report, is an account of how North Korean operators approached South Korean targets online by posing as Samsung recruiters. Microsoft tracks the responsible threat actor, the record says, as Zinc, which is more commonly known as the familiar Lazarus Group. Sure, they are recruiters, but not the kind you'd have in mind. Threat Horizons also has an interesting note on another intelligence services social engineering, In this case, the responsible organization is also familiar. It's Russia's GRU, specifically Fancy Bear. In this case, Google's threat analysis group describes a Gmail phishing campaign 
in which, at the end of September, a large-scale phishing effort was mounted against more than 12,000 Gmail accounts. Threat Horizons writes, quote, The attackers were using patterns similar to TAG's government-backed attack alerts to lure users to change their credentials on the attacker's controlled phishing page. The attackers kept changing the email's subject line, but used a variation of critical security alert, end quote. Google says it blocked the messages and that, to the best of their knowledge, no one was compromised, but the fish bait in this case seems unusually shiny and plausible. Fancy Bear wrote, quote, There's a chance this is a false alarm, but we believe that government-backed attackers may be trying to trick you to get your account password. We can't reveal what tipped us off because the attackers will adapt, but this happens to less than 0.1% of all users. If they succeed, they can spy on you, access your data, or take other actions using your account. We recommend change your password. End quote. Not bad, except for faltering in the last sentence, where we recommend change your password. Sounds like Ensign Chekhov talking. The link in the phishing email directed the unwary to what appeared to be a Gmail account page. The font wasn't right, but that's easily overlooked by someone willing to get that far. And the goal, of course, was credential theft. The shadow quasi-cyber war between Iran and Israel seems not only to be intensifying, but also, according to the New York Times, which sources its conclusions to anonymous U.S. intelligence sources, entering a phase in which both sides seem willing to hit clearly civilian targets— an attack that disrupted Iranian fuel stations and the doxing of Israeli participants in an LGBTQ online community, both represented themselves as the work of hacktivists. But both incidents seem to be the work of fronts run from Jerusalem and Tehran. So, you might ask, what's the difference? Well, U.S. Army Field Manual 6-27, published to offer guidelines for commanders on the laws of armed conflict, and intended to reflect not just national but international law, is as convenient a place to start as any. FM 6-27 explains the distinction like this, quote, An ordinary inhabitant of the enemy state would be a civilian, but a member of the enemy armed forces or a member of a terrorist group or a non-state armed group would not be a civilian, end quote. And civilians are supposed to be protected wherever possible and not to be made targets. Much discussion of protecting civilian targets from cyber attack has concentrated on critical infrastructure, things like hospitals, power grids, and the like. And not even the most expansive definition of critical infrastructure includes discount gasoline, still less a dating site. Well then, what's the problem with bopping a gas station or a dating site, you might ask? Think of it this way. Buying gas or swiping right are things people do as people— not as members of a military formation. You're filling up with regular or arranging lunch, not hauling ammunition or serving an anti-aircraft gun. And disrupting aspects of ordinary civil life does seem to amount to an escalation, at least a small one. So swipe left, targeteers. The laws of conflict in cyberspace are still undergoing development, and neither of the incidents the New York Times discusses amount to anything close to a war crime, but a little initial restraint might be something to think about. 
Just before the Thanksgiving holiday, the U.S. Commerce Department added 28 organizations to its entity list of sanctioned groups. The countries most directly affected are China for a range of technologies, including quantum computing with military applications, Pakistan for ballistic missile proliferation, and Russia for military R&D. Tensions between Russia and Ukraine remain high. The U.S. Embassy in Kiev last week reiterated warnings to travelers urging them to avoid the Crimea and Ukraine's eastern regions. The AP reported Saturday that Ukrainian President Zelensky said Kiev's intelligence services had uncovered Russian plans for a coup d'etat in Ukraine within the week. Cyber operations can be expected to keep pace with the conflict, and we hope that things turn out less badly than the worst fears in Kiev, Washington, and elsewhere would predict. Russia has denied any ill intentions, as has the oligarch mentioned in dispatches by President Zelensky as the probable figurehead of a pro-Russian coup. And we end on a sad note. Dark Reading's founder and longtime editor-in-chief Tim Wilson lost his struggle with cancer last week, passing away far too early at the age of 59. The excellent magazine he organized and led is a fitting legacy for a journalist who'll be missed. Our condolences go out to his family, friends, and colleagues, and we're sure we're not alone in our appreciation for his work. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And it's always a pleasure to welcome back to the show Rick Howard. Of course, he is the CyberWire's own chief security officer, also our chief analyst. Rick, it's always great to have you back. Hey, Dave. Welcome back from Thanksgiving vacation. 
Thank you. Thank you. Feeling uh, rested, uh, tanned, and ready to go. So, <laughs> so on this week's CSO Perspectives show, you are giving us uh, another one of your Rick the Toolman episodes, which I got to say, I love. Uh, <laughs> now, this show caters to security practitioners at all levels. We're talking about everybody from the tier one and above analysts to the mid-managers and all the way up to the security uh, executives who are at a senior level. But it does tend to skew towards the leadership team. And I'm curious, from your perspective, you know, why should they be interested in how these security tools work? Is, isn't that more the, the part of the, uh, the day-to-day security operators? Isn't this a little, I don't know, below the pay grade of those executives? <laughs> Well, you know, that's a great point. And uh, I think that many security executives might agree with you. You know, they would prefer to stay like in policy land and budget land and those kinds of things. But let me make my case using one of my favorite World War II movies, the 1970 movie Patton. Do you remember that one? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, George C. Scott playing Patton doesn't get much better than that, right? Doesn't get any better, right? And so there's a scene early in the movie when Patton's second corps goes up against Rommel's Africa corps and defeats them. And there's this great little moment when Patton, in victory on the battlefield, yells out, Rommel, I read your book. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure that Patton probably knew how to drive a tank, all right? But that's not the skill set we're looking for here, okay? What was important was that Patton knew how to deploy the tanks in total as a tool, as well as the artillery, the infantry, and all of his aviation asset. Mm, I see. So if I'm getting what you're saying here, uh, security execs don't necessarily need to know how to configure a firewall, but they do need to understand all the ways in which you can deploy a firewall. In other words, they they need to understand what it can do, the possibilities, so they can set the direction for their team. That's exactly right. So we talk uh, about cybersecurity first principles strategies a lot in this podcast. And Mm. security executives who don't understand the tools at their disposal have no hope in pursuing their cybersecurity strategies. They don't have to know how to drive the tank, so to speak, but they do have to be able to articulate to their InfoSec team about how they want the tank to be deployed to support their first principle strategies. All right. Well, so uh, what tank are we talking about in this week's uh, Rick the Toolman episode? So we're talking about XDR, or Extended Detection and Response. It's a relatively new idea, started around 2018, and it has a long way to go before it becomes a useful tool for everybody. But these XDR kinds of tools may become the security orchestration platform we've all been waiting for. All right. Well, we'll look forward to that. It is uh, CSO Perspectives, part of CyberWire Pro. You can find that on our website, thecyberwire.com. Rick, the tool man, Howard, thanks for joining (laughs) us. Thank you, Dave. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber.
And joining me once again is Johannes Ulrich. He's the Dean of Research at the Sands Technology Institute and also the host of the ISC Stormcast podcast. Johannes, always great to have you back. Um, I want to touch today on Cobalt Strike and uh, attempts to decrypt some of their traffic. What can you share with us today? Yeah, so Cobalt Strike, of course, is the tool of choice for many attackers uh, to gain persistent access to a system and to essentially send commands and exfiltrate data. Cobalt Strike has an option to encrypt the traffic, and it's using AES, so the Advanced Encryption Standard, which is quite secure if implemented well, and Cobalt Strike does implement it reasonably well. In Hmm. order to decrypt the traffic, now you need a key. And the trick is, where do you get the key from? Well, uh, Didier Stevens, who is one of our Storm Center handlers and is also a consultant in, in Belgium, He's very famous for all these little uh, Python scripts that uh, he came up with uh, to analyze malware. And he now came up with a script that allows you to not only decrypt uh, Cobalt Strike uh, command control traffic uh, if you have the key, but also uh, to find the key. And there are really two sources where you can find the key. Number one, well, some of those keys got leaked. Uh, attackers are leaking uh, their data too. It's not just the good guys that uh, <laughs> do that. And in particular, if they're stealing each other's software like Cobalt Strike, they end up with the same key. So uh, they uh, took a look at various sort of uh, leaked uh, Cobalt Strike uh, samples that he found. And he noticed there's actually only a handful of different keys that they used that allows you to decrypt vast majority of the actual sort of Cobalt Strike installations found in the wild. So he now, in his tool, added uh, those keys. The other way how you can get the key is from memory, but that gets a little bit more tricky. Uh, Now, in old versions of Cobalt Strike, uh, you could basically just find the keys in memory. In newer versions of Cobalt Strike, they made that a little bit more difficult. So you first need a little traffic sample of the encrypted traffic, then you can find the key. Sounds difficult, but Didier to the rescue. Uh, <laughs> he now uh, came up with a Python script, of course, that uh, allows you to take that traffic sample and uh, use that then to find the keys in memory of an infected system. And then you plug it into Didier's next script and decrypt the traffic for you. You know, where can we find these resources that DDA uh, publishes? What's the best place to track them down? If you're searching on our Internet Storm Center website uh, for DDA's post, he links uh, to them. But uh, you know, as usual, just a, just a Google search for DDA Stevens and uh, Cobalt Strike and download the first binary that comes across. If it's a binary, it's probably bad. He only publishes Python scripts. So... Uh, <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Well, uh, one of the good guys out there uh, helping folks take care of uh, bad situations. Johannes Ulrich, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Don't forget to check out the Grumpy Old Geeks podcast where I contribute to a regular segment called Security. Ah, I join Jason and Brian on their show for a lively discussion of the latest security news every week. You can find Grumpy Old Geeks where all the fine podcasts are listed and check out the Recorded Future podcast, which I also host. 
The subject there is threat intelligence, and every week we talk to interesting people about timely cybersecurity topics. That's at recordedfuture.com slash podcast. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technology. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Patrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.